Land, a weekly land education talk show to de devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Learn from the expert, guys. This is free land education. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell, and I'm accredited land consultant with United Country Real Estate, Sutton Properties, along with my co-host, Teresa Martin, who's unavailable today. She's out selling real estate. She's a hustler. Buying and selling homes, land or farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina, or southern Virginia, just give us a shout, and we'll help you out. Our office is at 102 East Main Street, next to BB&T Bank, in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Our company website is www.allsuttonproperties, that's A-L-L-S-U-T-T-O-N, properties, plural, dot com. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute, uh, to our staff and to our members. Our national website's www.rliland.com. Now, there's about 1,600 members nationwide. Uh, our accreditation is the accredited land consultant, which I'm one of 500. If you are buying or selling land anywhere in the United States, make sure you go to that site first if you're sourcing a land expert, okay? They'll make you money if you're selling more, and they'll save you money if you're buying on the other side. So make sure you go to www.rliland.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, landhub.com. Buying or selling land, Landhub is the place to be. Hey, we've got a great guest this morning. Our guest is Peter Badgett. Welcome, Peter. Hey, Luke. Glad to be here. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Virginia today. But you're roving, I understand, in our pre-show. Got one of them RVs and out seeing the world. Excited to be on the road. Good for you. Where do you live? Um, originally Denver, but uh, we've kind of left it behind for a while. So uh, it's a good bit of a freedom to see a lot more of the country at the moment. Well, if you need a home, uh, we'll we'll help you out here in North Carolina, okay, or Southern Virginia. Appreciate that. Okay. You are the uh, CSO for uh, Farmfolio. Uh, what a great name, Farmfolio, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you currently serve as the Chief Strategic Officer and have responsibility for uh, strategy, sales, marketing, and operations for your farmland ownership titles and your LOTS, uh, as you call them. We're going to get into that. Your company, uh, Farmlandfolio, and by the way, if you're um, – uh, want to go to their website? It's just simple farmfolio f o l i o dot net, just like our show is dot net, and follow along because they've got a lot of information on there. And we'll, uh, if you're driving, please don't be doing that. But otherwise, uh, get on that website and you can follow along this show with uh, Peter and I this morning. So you guys were founded around 2015, and your mission statement says is to make farmland ownership easy for everyone. Boy, what a great concept. As one of the largest exporters of the country in Colombia, and we're talking about uh, Colombia, not Colombia, South Carolina, uh, they're used to uh, advanced data-driven approach to identify land with the highest quality of trees and then allow anyone to own the productive farmland. Folios, farm Folios on the ground, sorry, expert team manages everything, including planting, harvesting, land, tree maintenance, and selling of their vertically integrated network and pack houses. Finally, Farmfolio distributes in-demand products like limes, lemons, avocados, my favorite, coconuts I love, and teakwood, of all things. 
as their farmland ownership sits back and everyone enjoys the return. So it's, it's, it's mailbox money, right? That's right. Passive income is passive as it comes, Lou. <laughs> I love that, Peter. So explain how this journey, how you got involved in the uh, family. Because you've got more of a computer background, right? You, uh, you uh, graduated uh, uh, in, uh, in computer-related uh, in, uh, in England, right? Yeah, that's right. No, so I, um, I graduated in the UK at King's College in uh, computer science. I joined uh, Wall Street, went to a few of the big firms for 18 years as a tech guy. So I was kind of building um, trading systems at Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch and Credit Suisse and all the names that uh, everybody knows in the U.S. Um, and, yeah, and, and I think my journey was, you know, um, I went to Silicon Valley for eight years after my Wall Street career, uh, built and sold a tech company, and that's really the, the where my journey started um, because I made a bit of money. And the question was, you know, what do I do with that money uh, to basically retain it and grow it? And that's what started me on the whole land investing journey, frankly. Why land? Of all the uh, things. Well, I mean, I, I started in many uh, real estate classes. Um, so as you can imagine, I mean, I, I'd imagine like a lot of your listeners, uh, you know, we all went through the stock market cycles of 2001 dot-com bust. Right. Um, we hit the 2008 financial crisis, which was based upon subprime mortgages going south. And so I think when I got to the end of my company sale in Silicon Valley in 2014, you know, the question was, as the markets start to rise, how do you stop getting caught in that um, cyclical um, stock market crash? You just sure. don't know what's going to happen, do you? No, you don't. Uh, and so I think that the beauty of what happened to me was I was in San Francisco at the time, sold the company, and I reached out to a bunch of Silicon Valley founders. I was like, listen, rich people. I'm not that rich. It was like a single, let's call it. It wasn't a home run. It was enough to kind of keep me, um, you know, um, you know, solvent and doing well, let's call it. Okay. I want to grow. I'm like, well, listen, what do you do with your money from an investment standpoint? And bar none, they all said to me, we invest in real assets. So we make money in the stock market or with company, public or private stock, and then we invest it in real assets. And that's real estate, farmland, you know, and, and that's where the journey started, actually. Well, you are aware that Bill Gates is now the largest landowner in the United States, and the majority of his portfolio, as opposed to Ted Turner, which is mostly buffalo ranches and forestry products, is farmland. Yep, absolutely, and that's the irony. So I met um, a bunch of people, and they were like, you know, listen, high net worth people, they put between 14 and 22% of their wealth into agricultural assets. Really? That's a high percentage. Kind of the, yeah, no, and, and I was like, you know, well, why is that? Because I, I basically have done, like, single-family rentals. I was in a couple of multi-family apartment buildings. Right. I had a mobile home park in okay. Illinois. I've done a couple of short-term rentals. I've got a, I've got a condo in Disney, by the way. No way. Uh, which has been, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I said to them, why farmland? Why do the wealthy put money into farmland? Yeah, my and question. they said, a couple of reasons. Number one, you avoid the three T's in real estate. And those three T's are toilets, trash, and tenants. Cool. Because obviously, when you uh, plant yeah. a permanent row crop like uh, avocado or lime or um, lemons, you basically plant the tree, you wait three or four years for it to start to produce a harvest, but then depending on the variety of tree, it'll produce income, produce fruit, 
that can be sold for 20 to 60 years. And so rather than dealing with air conditioners go wrong, you know, or oh, sure. tenants moving out, trying to rehab properties, um, it's a different aspect of farm management. But they said you avoid all of that mess, you maintain the farm, and the second big reason is because it passes wealth into future generations. Absolutely. Not only does it pay you during your lifetime, but you can pass it to your kids, your family members, brothers, sisters, uh, parents, whoever you wish. And that's why the wealthy generally own farmland, because it's a um, multi-generational asset class. Yeah, my mother's family, <clears throat> we, uh, my great-grandfather and grandfather, between 1909 and 1929, just uh, uh, west of where I am in Surrey County, <clears throat> near the Virginia border, bought 18 farms, non-contiguous, but all in the immediate area. Mother was one of 10 children. We're now on six generations and not one inch of that land has been sold outside to anyone. It's all been passed down uh, to uh, family members only. Uh, so uh, I can speak uh, strongly to the uh, heritage of that. Yep, completely agree. And I'll say the key is actually, you know, land prices do go up. Um, as you know, even no matter what happens with inflation, if it happens or it doesn't, um, basically your, your asset follows um, that path of not being devalued. Uh, like regular cash. So that's why people do it. Yeah, you know, it's protection yeah. for the future. Exactly. Yeah, the last track Granddaddy bought was 300 acres. Timber track on the river, road frontage, uh, split uh, two sides of it. <clears throat> he paid $3,500 for it. This is 1929, which equates to about $11.77 an acre. And the timber's been cut on it twice. We have uh, uh, timber ag uh, deferments in North Carolina where they reduce the value of of the property and then tax you on the lower value. And the taxes on that's been running about $280 a year. So, um, wow, not a bad investment. It's worth about a million and a half yeah, today on, on the market, okay? Yeah. Small man. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's for everybody. It's uh, big or large. And, and we're going to talk about Farmfolio. Your website's uh, real simple. It's just farmfolio.net. Go to it if you're listening and uh, and follow along with us. But it uh, sounds like the program that you and your associates have created is for the big guys, but it's for the little guys too, right? That's right. I mean, so one of the big deals with uh, farming is it's very hard to get in there because it's either, again, very wealthy people or large conglomerates or large, large private landowners. Right. And so I think one of our goals is I got into the farming space about eight years ago. Um, I bumped into Farm Photo actually when they were founded. Okay. And I was investing in all of their projects, and I only joined them in the past seven months. Really? And the reason I joined them is because they were able to actually turn 25% of my assets into income-producing farmland ownership. And, and so, yeah, once you see the proof, once you see it work, once you see you know regular income checks coming in, you're like, listen, they're onto something. The model works. Um, and I basically decided to join full-time. Uh, all my friends and family jumped in with it similar time and yeah from my perspective i think it's time to level the playing field you know there is inequality um how do we get anybody you know uh, i mean i'm sure you've heard of the uh, accredited and non-accredited investor status yes i have which kind of only allows people with a certain income and or net worth to invest in the bigger opportunities investment wise right well this actually is for everybody it's basically a piece of fee simple title real estate you buy a plot of land, 
just like you would buy a single family rental. Uh, in this case, in this case, for instance, the current farm, you'd have 218 Tahiti lime trees producing limes being sold in Walmart, Trader Joe's, Albertsons, Publix, all the major retailers across the U.S. Um, and, and that's really why I got into this business with Farmfolio full-time is because I see the ability to change people's lives. You finally get access, democratization of farm and ownership in small parcel form, um, regular income. And it just is a nice alternative to worrying about that, you know, floating around in the cyclical stock market uh, gyrations. And Peter, this is an international show due to our uh, radio. We are linked in with the Simple Radio app. Uh, so uh, you can listen to our beach music and oldies uh, and also listen to the show weekly. It's on Spotify and Podbean. But um, this is not just for the American domestic uh, investors. This is an international program, right? That's right, yeah. So we, we obviously, most of our farms right now are in the country of Colombia and Latin America. Okay. Um, and, and the beauty of this in the model is that we buy the farms overseas because the land is cheaper and the labor is cheaper. If you try to buy U.S. farmland today, you know, it depends on where you are, obviously. Well, you're 10 to 20,000 an acre. That's right. But once you start to grow permanent crops, assuming you can actually produce those kind of crops in that location in the U.S., um, it gets pretty pricey. So I think one of the beauties of this model we've found is actually we can go to a perfectly located country like Colombia, buy cheaper land with cheaper labor, incredible multi-generational farming, by the way, incredible produce they're producing, and then we export that back to the U.S. and Europe. And, uh, and that's where we can actually get great returns uh, and from that producing productive farmland. Wow. And, uh, you know, this is well-established farms, century farms. Uh, so in the soils and the climate and, you know, it's not uh, starting out from scratch. This is established uh, production, established farm producing uh, area. That's right. And so one of the keys to farmland ownership, obviously, is, is you'll find many people who decide to basically buy some cheap land, often overseas, plant a crop, and then they have to wait th- three, four, five, six years sure. for that crop and a permanent row basis to um, kind of like uh, produce the fruit. And, uh, and what I'd like to say is I'd like to call this um, hope ag investing. Because hmm, you're hoping that by the end yeah. of that three, four, five, six-year period, yeah. only will they have learned how to farm correctly, but they'll also know who to sell the produce to. And so what we did at Farmfolio, and this is kind of my involvement in the past three or four years, is we decided to do the opposite. Rather than plant new, we actually built pack houses first. And so for those who aren't familiar, a pack house is a facility where fruit is delivered, fruit and vegetables. It is washed, sorted, um, packed into boxes, put into uh, you know uh, containers, and then shipped overseas for export. Hey, excuse me, Peter. Our guest today is Peter Badgett. This is Let's Talk Land. Hey, we'd like to thank our host, our sponsor today, LandHub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at LandHub.com. Tell me a little bit more about these pack houses, and and then what's next? Yeah, so the key to this thing, obviously, we reverse-engineered farmland development. So we built the pack houses. Uh, We actually opened up fruit sales distribution um, back to the U.S. And so, obviously, we sell our fruit to Walmart and the big retailers. 
Colombian farmers, listen, if you deliver your fruit to our pack house door, we will wash, sort, pack, export, and sell them to Americans, Canadians, Europeans, and we'll give you cash for that produce. No one was doing that before, Peter? No one was doing that before? I mean, no. I mean, the key to these countries often is that they do not know how to export. I got you. They sell all their produce in local markets for low prices. Wow. Is this considered organic fruit? Uh, We do do some, but um, not a lot. Okay. Obviously, the the thing that comes up, you end up with, uh, let's say, not as nice looking fruit and a lot more spoilage and a lot lower production. Okay. I think what we've learned in the journey is that even though we could go organic, the American consumer demands the perfect emerald green lime, the right size, the right, you know, oftentimes fruit doesn't look as good as... Uh, well, it's different than tomatoes and apples and oranges and stuff like that, so uh, that makes sense. And that's yeah. not... The, the, what you're growing is not really traditionally... Uh, people are not seeking... That many people are seeking what's called organic growth, right? This is... No, and and you've got to be careful because, I mean, everybody's got this, you know, let's go organic, it's the right thing to do, but ultimately, you've got to also go based upon market demand. And so in a lot of fruits and vegetables, you'll see a premium price for organics. Sure. That's offset by the lower production um, and the other complications that come, frankly, from growing organics. So well, like, it's kind like, of a bit of a wash in. Yeah, like, like the avocados I've noticed in the past, you know, they get scarce and the prices go up. Uh, you know, so that's what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. No, so, I mean, basically, come to the end of that story and um, we're turning around to Colombian farmers. We're offering double the price of their fruit compared to what they normally get in the local market. They've got to love that. And, and, yeah, and so then, you know, what we then was looking at was we've got this pack house, we've got, like, tons of limes and avocados and coconuts flowing through them, and we said, okay, now we know which are the best farms delivering to our pack house. So let's go all the farmers and offer to buy the farms off them, and then we'll break it up into individual lots and offer them out as uh, um, essentially a parcel of productive farmland to individuals worldwide like you and me. So is this like a co-op in a way for the farmers? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, there's a slight difference here, which uh, a lot of the you know, um, U.S. listeners will appreciate. Uh, what we realized was that even if they break up the land for ownership, mm-hmm. so obviously you and I will own a title plot of land. Okay. We'll have an average of maybe 220 land trees on there. Um, you don't want to farm on a lot basis or a small parcel basis. You start to farm the farm in its entirety. Okay. By scaling you know, you know, the farm management, you end up with the most efficient way to basically you know, maintain the trees, um, harvest, and, and export. And so what we actually created was a structure of this thing called Farm Owners Association, FOA. Okay. And that just works like a traditional HOA. Right, you mentioned that earlier. Talk about that. Sure. So talk about that. So you, you have a structured contract, right, uh, between the investor, the management, and the farmer. Uh, and so you've got like a three-tier uh, association there, right? That's right. So as a titled landowner, you own your parcel, you're a member of the FOA. The FOA then turns around and does two things. 
they go to a farm management company, uh, which we have an incredible multi-generational farm management team, and they contract and say to this farm management team, okay, um, here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to maintain and farm this um, you know, farmland for us, maintain the trees, get the highest quality export fruit possible. They then turn around to the other side, to the pack house. In this case, it's called Valley Verde. And they say, listen, uh, we're going to set up a contract with you such that every kilogram of export limes, you'll pay X amount of um, pesos per year for that fruit. And that's the job of the the FOA. And so in such in the same way, like in the U.S., you'd have a homeless association who take care of managing common land and, you know, all the things that happen in a, in a um, development of house building. Um, we do the same thing, but on a farm basis. Interesting. So let me ask you this. So I own plot A, you own plot B, okay? And for some reason, my crop, my little plot's not producing as much uh, commodity as yours is. That doesn't matter, right? No, that's right. Because it's all thrown in as the whole farm perspective. Right. You're getting a percent of all the income from the whole farm and paying a percent of the uh, expenses to the whole farm. And that way there's no disadvantaged lot owner on the whole farm. You're in it together. Gotcha. Boy, I like that concept. This is interesting. Wow. Um, how has the pandemic affected your business, the overall business, uh, the agricultural business, not only in the uh, Columbia area, but the uh, export and around the world? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, so I'll talk just from a personal level because I went through, um, you know, I got a big investment portfolio. And so we saw mobile home parks suffered because there was an eviction moratorium. Right. People stopped paying rent. Yep. We have short-term rentals. We've got a condo in Disney, and people stopped going to Disney during the Yeah, pandemic. they closed it down. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I thought, you know, 75 million visitors to, to, you know, Walt Disney World in Florida how can that short-term rental not perform? And it was empty for nine months. Wow, yeah. And the amazing thing was that of all the investments my wife and I have, we basically um, ended up outperforming in two areas. Number one was the multifamily apartment buildings. Okay. A lot of them were working from home. And then the second one was farmland. And, and this is kind of makes sense, Lou, from a um, strategic standpoint because – I'm sure you and your listeners have heard the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, not everyone, but go ahead. Explain that a little bit. Yeah. So so Maslow's hierarchy of needs is kind of uh, discussing the fact that what's important to human being. And at the bottom, it's like security, it's food, um, it's shelter. And towards the top of the triangle is, you, you know, is, is more um, lesser important things. And at the end of the day, we all need food and shelter. And during the pandemic, our shelter, which was multifamily apartment buildings, and food, which was this farmland, um, there's been a high off-the-charts demand for it, and it survived the entire pandemic. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of nice to see. Did, did the uh, transportation, because that was depressed, did that affect your market at all? I think actually what happened was remarkably, because you think about, you know, um, all the restaurants closed down. Right. Um, all the food delivery had to be reshuffled. And so what we found was for last March of 2020, when, when the whole pandemic hit, there was probably a three- to four-week 
let's call it rejiggling of what happened in the world. Okay. And so in the old days, restaurants, bars, you know, hospitality, food hospitality would buy their produce from a wholesale market. It took two or three weeks for the wholesale markets, which shut down, to basically arrange for their produce to be sent over in a truck or a van. And so there was a short blip, let's call it, as people reconfigured how to do business, and then it just continued. So it really hasn't affected it, quite frankly. No, no. So, no, so, so I think, um, you know, the, what has what taught us, I mean, ultimately, um, as human beings, we need food and shelter. If you can own real assets, which is, you know, either housing or farmland or land in general, you know, I believe ultimately these, this, this should be a portion of everybody's uh, portfolio and uh, farm folio, as we call it. So take, take me through the investment part of this. Um, who, who's the, who, who do I go to? Do you go directly to your organization, or is this this is not done through uh, the securities because it's not a security? Uh, probably the financial planning industry is not even aware of it uh, to help their clients diversify. Um, how, how do you get the word out? How, how do you find your investors? Yeah, so we generally, um, you know, we or your partners. Digital marketing. Yeah, let me change that to partners. It's an investment, but they're your partners, actually. Yeah, no, so we do a lot of digital marketing. So I reach out on um, you know, LinkedIn or the channels, we do some Google AdWords, because ultimately, Nobody's making commission from this in the larger financial services arena. Interesting. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, the whole independent financial advisor, the whole Wall Street machine, um, they're pushing you towards products which they make commission upon. Sure. Uh, so our goal really is to go direct to consumer, which is you and me. And so, you know, we reach out on various um, radio podcasts and other digital marketing uh, means. And yeah, you come to farmfolio.net ultimately, and we kind of talk you through your goals uh, because it's it's important from our perspective to know what you're trying to achieve from a, a wealth or investment or ownership standpoint. And and this is not obviously a security. This is a titled piece of real estate. And really, our goal is to say, okay, listen, you've got a portion of your asset in the stock market. Uh, hopefully, you're doing a bit of real estate, whether it be single-family rentals or maybe uh, in a couple of syndications, you know, let's add a third asset class here, and that's farmland. Uh, and it really gives you a bit of inflation protection, uh, gives you passive income, and it starts to balance out your portfolio because ultimately, when the stock market crashes, the farmland is not a cyclical correlated asset class. So when Tesla runs out of juice, you know, when all the tech stocks go down, people don't stop buying limes, do they? They, no, don't, they don't stop buying avocados. People still need to eat. And that's really the key to this thing. Is you need to have a balanced uh, portfolio of assets that are going to basically, um, you know, give you income today and for decades into the future. You guys also do teak wood, and I'd like to get into that because uh, that could be affected by the, by the economy, right? What's teak wood used for? Well, it, it can. Other than boats. Uh, <laughs> let's educate people a little bit uh, briefly. So plantation teak versus naturally planted teak. Um, it so happens that when you plant trees, it stops erosion on land. 
agreed? Absolutely. And so Colombia as a country had a whole slew of cattle farms, you know, hundreds of thousands of cattle farms across the country. So to face erosion in these cattle farms, the Colombian government 2000, 2002 said, hey, listen, farmers, cattle ranchers, if you plant plantation teak, we will basically give you a tax credit. Um, and so what happened was across Colombia, all these cattle ranchers started planting teak. And you kind of wind forward 16, 18 years later, all these teak forests now, uh, from a plantation standpoint, are coming into their peak years. And so what we did was we built a sawmill. We then went out to all these cattle ranchers. And we said, listen, you know, we'll buy your teak for cash. And what we do is we process that. We make it to deck tiles. Uh, we made it to blocks and boards for housing construction. And we basically bring that plantation teak uh, back into the economy as finished wood. And uh, ironically, again, we export is all outside of Colombia. And one of our biggest selling products, which can get um, Florida up around the southeast, is deck tiles. So if you want to build a deck on the back of your house, you can go to these like you know lumber yards and uh, garden places, and you can buy these teak deck tiles, and, and that's probably our Colombian teak. Interesting. So is Colombia, and we just got a minute here, but um, is <clears throat> where else is teak grown outside of Colombia, and what percentage is their market? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult because, I mean, obviously Burmese teak, a lot of teak in the Amazon, but they're all natural teaks. And um, unfortunately, a lot of logging is being frowned upon and there are large taxes being produced. So you need to find countries now that have planted plantation teak. Okay. We just have to have fortunately backed into <laughs> a country like Colombia that just happened to have planted it. Yeah, no amount of planting will ever replace dumb luck, right, Pete? Uh, if you can't be good, be lucky. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my goodness. Well, our guest today is Peter Badgett. He's the Chief Strategy Officer of Farm Portfolio. This is a fascinating show. Um, this is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at LandHub.com. So how? what type of investments you can uh, do you use? I mean, if I want to diversify my portfolio, you know, I may have a savings account, I uh, may have uh, some insurance uh, investments, I may have some stocks, some uh, commodities. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Peter? Uh, on what, a comparison of farmland versus other yes, types sir. of assets? Yeah, just, yeah. I, I'm using, I'm going to use your program to diversify my portfolio. What percentage should I look at? You know, like when I used to sell numismatic coins, we suggested you do at least 10% of your total investment portfolio and some type of hard asset. How would that equate to farmland? Yeah, I, I think everybody's different. You know, obviously I don't give financial advice, but um, I tell people just to dip their toe in the water to begin with. Okay. You know, it doesn't take a lot of money to try something out in most cases. And, and I think the key is uh, everybody has a different uh, appetite for different risks. And so I know many people who wouldn't buy an overseas investment. I know many people who, who will buy a lot of overseas investment and split their portfolio 50-50 to uh, kind of manage the risk of all the money printing happening in the U.S. 
Um, so it really does come down to an individual person. But my advice to most people is, listen, when you get into a new asset class, whether it be real estate, farmland, gold, cryptocurrency, whatever flavor of the day is, um, just do a small investment, one investment, and watch it for a year, year and a half. Um, and that way you get comfortable, you understand what the investment does, how it performs, and really whether you can tolerate the risk um, and the profile of that asset class in your portfolio. So with the uh, Farmland Folio program, what's the minimum investment uh, that uh, you're looking at dollar-wise? Uh, so we have many yeah, we have many farms, but basically the, the price of a farm lot of farm folio is related to the age of the trees. The younger the trees, the less the lot. The more mature the trees and the more income, the more the lot. Uh, but they range from 28000 to 45000 per lot. So you're 28000 you know, the, the range. Go ahead. And the range of returns is between 12 and 20% uh, so, projected. So your minimum is kind of very like strong to, compared to the fluctuations and volatility of the stock market, obviously. So your minimum is like 24000 yeah, 24, 28, and uh, we are actually about to introduce a financing program. Um, for those of you who want to leverage um, your cash a little more, we give uh, financing. How, how would that work, Peter? Uh, we have a couple of programs, but, but generally, <clears throat> in the same way that you would buy a single-family rental, okay, and you put maybe 25, 30% down and then get a mortgage for the rest, we do a similar thing for farmland ownership. Who would the lender be? Conventional lender? Uh, it's a like combination, actually. So we have some uh, commercial lender, and we have, um, obviously, um, we often, as a company, uh, will back our products as well. It depends on uh, which farm we're selling and, and, and the timing of it. Interesting. So you, you can uh, do the own financing, or you can recommend financing, or the investor can bring their own financing, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. But generally, we will offer financing as part of the transaction. So, okay. um, you know, you, you have to understand also that uh, we're we're kind of buying these farms. In some cases, the owners of the farms will give us financing by stretching out the purchase of those farms from a payment perspective, and we just pass that straight through the the, the person buying. Gotcha. Are those what like five year terms, three year terms, ten year terms? Yeah, mostly three to five years. Okay, that's pretty normal. Wow, this is sounding more attractive. I'm uh, <laughs> got a big commission coming up. I may be calling you. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, you're talking about the tree farms, but you also can invest in the other farms too, right? Uh, yeah. So so we have we have there's limes, coconuts, avocados. We have a uh, teak. So you can actually we have a product coming up actually next quarter where you can actually just purchase the teak trees themselves, not even the land underneath it. Um, and so I think in some ways we're trying to expand our product offerings to regular people like you and me right. so you can start to diversify across a few different um, products and you know, basically build a, a farm portfolio, as the company name suggests, such that you can probably get to 25 to 30% of your portfolio being in farmland um, to kind of offset any real estate stock or other assets. So you can play the market too. You can. Uh, so once you're in the investment 
what's a typical hold period that you're recommending? It, it depends again on the farm, but we're we're asking people to kind of consider it at least a five-year hold. Um, we do resell these farm lots, by the way. We actually have a, a the same sales team uh, we have that actually finds people to buy the lot. We can also then relist the lot on your behalf, and we take the usual three percent real estate commission. Okay. Um, but I think yeah, the goal the goal here is to hold for five years. Um, if you need the cash, great. Sell it anytime you wish. Uh, but really for long-term ownership. I mean, we're hoping that people uh, receive this passive income for 10, 20, 30 years plus, because that's really the benefit of owning farm uh, farmland as a product, you know? So this can also be transferred, obviously, uh, at your demise, or if you want to uh, put it in a trust? Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. So you can actually title it in, your, in an entity, um, in a trust, um, actually even in an IRA. Um, as you're probably aware, you can self-direct your individual retirement account nowadays, and uh, we, we help you do that if you're looking to um, to do that. Because the amazing thing also is that one of the biggest buckets of investment we as Americans have is our IRA. And we've been convinced by the financial services industry, which I was part of for 20 years, that you have to buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. But in actual fact, what you can do is you can take your IRA assets, you can move it to a what's called a self-directed custodian, right? and you can buy land, real estate, farmland, many other asset classes. I think the only thing you can't buy with it is fine arts and collectibles. That's so correct. for those of you who wanted to buy a Mona Lisa painting, you can't yeah. do that from your IRA. Well, there's only one of those. Well, it's supposed to be. But I did a podcast on this. I don't remember the number, but if you go to Spotify or Podbean or the Let's Talk Land dot net uh, master website, uh, it's one of the. Uh, it's probably in the fifties uh, podcast, something like that. And we got extremely uh, involved in uh, explaining uh, how that process works. So, uh, you know, but you can also uh, get in touch with Peter or staff, and uh, they can talk you through it as well. I'm sure. What, what's the stability of Colombia, uh, government-wise and, and uh, economy-wise, and how, how, how they stack up now? Because uh, over the years, you know, like a lot of countries, uh, small countries, have gone through transitions. Uh, but I have a good friend that's uh, in our United Country family uh, that actually uh, is consulting uh, uh, Colombia right now and setting up, uh, re revamping their real estate market. And he does a lot of business down there and speaks extremely uh, favorable to uh, where they are right now. What's your opinion? Yeah, I mean, one, it's one of those uh, jewels in Latin America. Oh, I like I the mean, word I jewel. The, the funny thing is, like, many people um, kind of have a Netflix subscription, and they watch, like, uh, Narcos, and it's all about Pablo Escobar. But what people don't realize is that was, like, he died 25 years ago. It's been that it long. It was a whole generation ago. Yeah. Um, and so when you kind of look at Colombia today, it is a stable democracy. Um, it's winning all the awards. I mean, you pitch up to Bogota, to Medellin. Um, it is a democratic, cosmopolitan city, amazing bars, restaurants. Um, you know, openly and honestly, I feel safer in most Colombian cities than I do in downtown Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm from sure. a crime perspective. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think the old news was that Colombia did have some drug trade issues a generation ago, uh, but today it is a very thriving, active, and uh, prosperous 
um, economy and country. Don't they? So, have, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great place to visit, even if you don't buy farmland. Sure, and it's uh, it's uh, diversified too. And and you can also don't they have some type of citizenship you can get now? Americans can. Uh, or yeah, I mean, there's there's a, there's dozens of different residences. I mean, so I've got a lot of friends actually who American Canadian citizens who split their time. They spend half the time down in Colombia, um, spend half time in the U.S. and Canada, and uh, yeah, it's a it's an incredibly low cost of living and you actually find a lot of um more elderly americans and canadians uh retiring down there uh, because it's it's going to cost you probably 30 40 percent of your um you know cost of living back in the u.s or canada i i, I pulled an article uh that was uh from uh, dave uh, d-e-v-e-x news uh by augens uh, uh, uh that was published uh uh, February 21st, and it was um, part of a UN conference, uh, as they have many on <coughs> world and feeding the world. And you know, they're talking about the democratization discussion of the food system is vital because people do not eat ideas, they eat and policies. They eat food and grow and deliver by other people who work in the fields. And this is exactly what you guys are: factories, or research labs, or distribution centers, or shops, or restaurants. And all these people have the knowledge and insights and understanding to help improve the system at large to make it more inclusive, more sustainable, and more resilient. But you have to keep the momentum to expand the uh, conversation to involve everyone uh, with a stake in the food system until we arrive at a solution that will end hunger and malnutrition and protect the environment and increase equality. So not only the United Nations, but tremendous organizations we're all facing. You know, we got uh, what almost 9 billion people on the planet. And, you know, our resources are running. This poor old planet, we've about worn it out. And what you guys are doing uh, and, and streamlining this uh, is a great model from what I'm understanding this morning, Peter, uh, for other organizations to look at, too. Now, can you, can you actually take this program and do that, say, in the United States with some of our products or other countries, this model you have? Um, take our model and replicate it in uh, many other countries and, and over time we will go to different countries right uh, because obviously to your point the population's growing uh, we're always going to need food uh, the amount of arable or farmable land is dwindling massively um, and, and so yeah this is a model which we hope we can actually grow ourselves and we'd be happy for other people to, to do a similar model to basically expand the capabilities because it's just going to help everybody in the long run. Uh, but also, you think about this, we are essentially um, exporting the product from Latin America back to the U.S. and Europe. And so we're not only creating jobs down in Colombia, we're actually bringing um, cash um, back into the economy. And it's basically, you know, benefiting not only Latin American countries, uh, but also obviously um, our North America and Europe from a produce uh, capability standpoint. Because the, the other interesting thing, Lou, is that as the pandemic has proven, people are concerned about supply chains. Right. And so the U.S. in particular is going down a path of instead of offshoring most of the manufacturing that's happened the past 30 years, is now starting to friend shore, they're calling it, which is shortening those supply chains. And, and frankly, from a, from a North America standpoint, 
South America is one of the shortest supply chains possible. And for a, for a set of countries with such rich agricultural, mineral, and other uh, resource standpoint, uh, I think really you'll see Latin America coming to the fore a lot more from a U.S. import standpoint over the coming decade. Makes sense. Uh, and with the uh, getting rid of NAFTA and the new uh, coalition between Canada, United States, and Mexico, uh, I think that's going to accelerate that, don't you think? Yep, absolutely. So what would you say people from a big-picture view who might be considering buying farmland for their portfolio? What would you tell them? Um, I, I think, actually, I mean, when you think about buying farmland, don't go into this without clear goals. I'd like to kind of, you know, predict everything in a different stage of life. You're all trying to move towards certain goals financially. And so I'd kind of plot out and say, listen, you know, if you're in your 40s or 50s, kids not got through college yet, then, you know, let's work towards when my you know, kids leave home and I'm an empty nester, let's try and aim for X amount of dollars per month. And then back into these products and say, listen, you know, I think stock market will right with a third of our portfolio right now. We'll buy a few single family rentals or, you know, invest in a couple of syndication deals. And then we're going to take a third of our portfolio um, and we're going to try and produce either $1,500 a month, $3,000 a month, whatever you need from a passive income perspective to live your lifestyle, whether it's three, five or 10 years out from now. Um, some people need cash today. Some people can kind of like build up in the IRA, get to 59 and a half, and then start to leverage that cash for living their life. So I think from my perspective, we don't come to people and say, listen, just buy farmland. We say, listen, what are your goals? What's your asset allocation? What percent of money do you want to invest in these different stock market, real estate, farmland, gold, um, and, and basically what can we do from a performance or return perspective so you can actually build the lifestyle you want from these underlying investment assets? I want to, I want to talk about your uh, website, if you can, for a little bit. Uh, farmfolio.net, guys. <clears throat> can you kind of walk us through that, what you'll find on your website, and how it'll be helpful to them? Yeah, so the, the goal of the website, actually, is you'll see um, you know a bit of history on the company, as usual. Uh, but more importantly, there'll be a tab called Opportunities. And this will always show you the latest farms that we are already harvesting fruit from, selling that fruit out into the major retailers in the U.S. and Europe, and therefore um, farms that you can purchase today. And it's kind of a straightforward process. You'll click on there. You'll be able to download the brochure. You'll be able to even do a farm tour because obviously one of the keys to this is that we hope people will go and visit their farm eventually, uh, but travel restrictions and, you know, people have busy lives. Uh, we actually do a full 20, 30-minute farm tour so you can tour the property and see where the land is. You can see the pack house. You can see, you know, the distribution of the fruit, um, all the aspects that will help you understand uh, what farmland ownership should look like. Uh, yeah, so that's the goal really is to kind of give you the photos, the location, uh, the full farm tour and the brochure and the returns. 
And then, uh, yeah, just click on that button and it'll say schedule a call. And you'll chat to me or Adrian or Zach or Tom. We have a nice team of um, um, really good, you know, lots of specialists who can talk you through whether this would fit your needs and fit the profile of investment you're looking for. And I noticed that several of the um, uh, the staff or employees or um, uh, members or uh, uh, members of families uh, uh, that's been there a long time. Uh, they're local people and extremely familiar. Yeah, no, I, I think one of the one of the keys to this company is um, you know it's it's run by Colombian nationals, it's run by some Americans, some Brits, some Australians, um, and really the, the goal here is that uh, when you bring together a multinational team. When you can leverage incredible assets in a country like Colombia, uh, with incredible know-how of you know American people who have kind of understand uh, you know finance, understand investments, and understand what some like you know and and farmland ownership opportunity like you and I would like to invest in. I think that's the key is to bring in diverse talent across the board um, and to basically uh, you know you need that to be successful nowadays. Sure. And I will, I will confess that uh, most of our operations are run by strong Colombian females. Really? Um, you know, we're very proud of that. Go girls. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, they, they are incredible organizers, sure. um, incredibly effective. And, you know, underneath the covers, they're basically driving the whole show for us. Interesting. How, how many farms do you guys currently have? So from a pack house standpoint, we are receiving fruit from around 28 to 30 farms right now. Okay. And we've basically bought four in the past year and broken them up and sold them as lots. And really, our, our goal is to spend the next two or three years and, uh, you know, keep servicing the best farms in Colombia. Um, to, to the discussion earlier, we'll probably move to some other countries over time. And, and yeah, the goal, the goal is to basically start to give people different products in different countries and uh, given that real diverse farm folio they're looking for. How many total acres, roughly? Uh, the packhouse can consume a thousand hectares. Okay, your hectares. Uh, which is, what's that in, uh, in acreage? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I teach it, but I don't remember. Two, <laughs> probably 1,600 acres, I think. Right. Rough, rough. Right. And is it all basically in the same area, or are you pretty much uh, throughout Colombia? No, we're throughout Colombia. And one of the little keys to this is that uh, the, the big fruit retailers, uh -huh. like Walmart, okay. they demand consistent production throughout all 12 months of the year. And the beauty of Colombia, from a weather and a topology and altitude standpoint, is that there are many different regions um, very different altitudes where these farms are based. And you can start to buy and plant lines across all those regions, and it delivers a nice, consistent fruit supply for uh, most of the 12 months of the year, actually. So that's one of the advantages we have over other, for instance, lime-producing companies like countries like Brazil and Mexico. Hmm. I had a show early on with a uh, realtor, actually, uh, uh, from Brazil, eastern Brazil, and uh, they were touting the fact that there's uh, one of two places in the world that you could uh, have two crops in one season. And, of course, their crops are uh, uh, corn and soybeans. And uh, so uh, I found that quite interesting. Uh, they're one of the largest producers, and <clears throat> their government has shifted more to a 
Democratic run, and they're investing a lot of money in creating rail lines because the biggest problem is getting uh, the commodities to uh, to the uh, shippers, uh, you know, to the exporters. And are you guys finding something similar? I don't mean rail lines, but uh, being able to in the remoter areas uh, move your products pretty quickly and efficiently. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of Colombia right now is that the government itself is um, investing massively in the road infrastructure. Yeah, similar to Brazil. They call it the fourth generation and fifth generation highways. Really? And when you're over there, I mean, I mean these are, the bridges are incredible. I mean, it's just one of those, um, you know, five to ten year capital investment projects, which is just opening up all of the rural areas in Colombia to the big cities and to the ports and to the ports. So it's, uh, it's fantastic to see a company, a country, happening in this way at this stage, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's uh, y'all got to work together. Uh, so uh, are you driving? Right. Are you, yeah, it's are, perfect timing. Are you driving land prices up down there? <laughs> well, what's an average hectare go for? Um, so it completely depends on the region, how close to the cities, how close to the airport. Right. Um, you know, so it's a... Uh, <laughs> And what's on it? I mean, it is as variable as the U.S., sure. uh, rurally and close to the cities, suburbia, and in the cities themselves. Um, so it, it, um, it's a lot cheaper than the U.S. overall, obviously, uh, but uh, especially given the strength of the dollar, by the way, against exactly. the Colombian peso. Sure. Um, so it, it really is a good time right now to be investing in some of these Latin American countries with this strong dollar. Yeah. So what makes you get up in the morning, Peter? I, I think for me, it's all about uh, helping people. Yeah. I mean, I am fortunate that I've uh, invested wisely. I've made a bunch of mistakes to learn. That's always inevitable. Uh, but I finally settled on um, working out how to make money from existing cash I have. And honestly, if I can help make people's lives easier in the future, by allowing them to invest, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars in something like farmland, and they get regular income from it for decades to come. Um, that's what makes life worthwhile. Yeah, uh, take a bit of the pressure off, help people pay their mortgage, pay some of their base fixed expenses. Um, you know, it's uh, that's the goal here with with, with really the Farmfolio family, and uh, it's a great team, bunch of smart people working really hard, and uh, yeah, we're 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 actually producing great returns for farmland owners and uh, yeah that's that's the joy of this job right now repeat that return for me what what do you kind of your target return on investment yeah so we we aim for 12 to 20 percent a year wow that's strong from productive farmland that's strong boy i don't know many things doing that and uh, you have children uh, I do have two children. I have two lovely daughters, 14 and 16. Wow, great age. Um, you know, another another <laughs> reason I do the international yeah. investing is I want to see you know, the world and travel. And, Absolutely. Uh, and hopefully a lot of our lot owners will, will join us down in Colombia and see Latin America um, because uh, the world's an amazing place. And I think my goal also is to have my daughters see it and to eventually uh, you know, take over those farms and, and enjoy it like we are. What a great heritage, Peter. What a great heritage. Uh, with about a minute left, um, what's the last thing you want to leave your listening audience with? And then we'll let you close out with how they uh, get in touch with you. You can take about a minute or so. Yeah, yeah, no. So listen, my takeaway is this. Um, owning land is 
an amazing asset class. Um, the fact that you can own land with product growing on it that can be sold for regular income is even better. And so whether you buy a rental home, um, farmland, even rent out a spot to an RVer like me and my wife, um, you know, it's an asset class that should be in your portfolio. So uh, feel free to reach out to me um, for education, for help, for assistance, anything you need um, at farmfolio.net. And uh, I really appreciate, Lou, the opportunity to chat today. No, no, we'd love to uh, have you come back on anytime. And uh, it's been a great informative show. Uh, like I said, uh, I'm 72, but I got two grandchildren, uh, one that's um, soon to be six and one that's uh, a little over three, two boys. And, uh, you know, they've got a future, too. So uh, Grandpa's got to look out and uh, keep the heritage. Unfortunately, I didn't uh, acquire any land yep. uh, from my family farm. My mom inherited 100 acres of it. And I have two brothers, and uh, she uh, called us up back in the 60s when she inherited it. And her brother, who had the adjoining land, uh, wanted to uh, buy it. And she asked us if she could sell it. And we said, we mean asking us. It's your land. It's your inheritance. You take it. So otherwise, we would have been part of that. How do they get in touch with you, Peter? Um, farmfolio.net is the best place. Okay. And you'll find uh, a book, book link there. Books to be had to chat on any topic, actually. Um, I'm here to help. And, uh, you know, and I know you are too, Lou, so I uh, yep. appreciate it. We'll be happy to network you with Peter. Yep. So thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we would appreciate them. All of our questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed with your questions as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source for land education. All of our shows are downloaded after this morning's show on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. You'll also find us on Spotify and Podbean. My email is lou at mylandpro.com. My cell number is 336-669-1405. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, landhub.com. If you're looking to buy or sell land, landhub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. Hey, go to that website. They, uh, they do a great job. And if you need to advertise your property, you don't have to be a realtor. Uh, contact them as well. They do a lot of social media. They're the best out there. Rodney, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, they go to our website. Go to WKTE1090.com. And also, they can hear us anywhere in the world there by downloading the Simple Radio app. Huh? I thought it was the universe. Well, the universe, yeah. Come on now. Okay. We're, we're, we're into uh, all yeah. that stuff now. That's right. We're so, all connected. Universe. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. So this is an international show, right? Yes, it is. Of yeah. course. Yeah. All right. And uh, and uh, what do we play here? Only happy music. Uh, beach and oldies. You want to be happy? You want to be happy, you got to listen to us. And you can do that. You can be happy anywhere in the world. That's right. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Wow. And we won some nice awards. Yeah, six years in a row being the top radio station, Beach and Oldies station on the East Coast. Well, can we get all the way down to Columbia? Uh, well, With the simple, simple radio, radio app. app. Yep, we okay. sure can. So if you want to be happy, tune in. And you won a nice award. Yeah, the uh, Reader's Choice Award for Announcer of the Year. Mm, interesting. I wonder why. Yes. You're in the running next year, I think. I don't think so. <laughs> or maybe, this year. Maybe Shada. <laughs> Shada, she's, uh, she's been working uh. on it. But, um, hey, we appreciate you for joining us today. Have a great morning, and we'll see you next week.